Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking biologicals, beneficial microbes versus biostimulants. In our spotlight, we'll take a look at some new herbicide being registered for soybean, cotton, and canola. Egg History Minute, we'll talk about the history of the FFA. Cool beans, that's corny. We'll have some current events and we'll wrap things up with a Field Good Friday. With me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey guys. Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. Well, we had the crop drought, now we've got the sports drought. Super Bowl's over. Spring training kind of rolling, but, you know, there's not a lot going on. NBA's at an all-star break. They had the all-star game, which I don't know if you guys saw any of that, but it was... They scored a billion points. Right. I wouldn't call it a game. It was not really, yes. Yeah. It was a shooting like all, exhibition. Yeah, well, it's you like can't call them, most NBA games a game. It's the fourth quarter is really when things happen. I've seen but. more of a game at like a park. <laughs> that a was a cup game. Yeah, that was just like a shoot up threes from half court and, and doink them. Yeah, I didn't watch one second. I just saw the score. It happened to be on the TV at a restaurant I was at, and so I saw. Not the whole game, but like a chunk of the first quarter or the first half. It sounded to me like I also heard that the East basically got to halftime and said, "Let's go get the record." Like, let's just over oh, points. Yeah, or, oh. I don't know if it was Dame, Dame and Giannis or who, but they were like, "Let's just go." Who cares? We're going to score as many points as we can and get the record of most points scored. Guess it's something to shoot for. Oh. <laughs> yes. Spring training game. First game is Saturday, Bill? Yep. Brewers start Saturday. Yay. Yeah, you're going to be all excited. You got baseball starting up. Uh, the, it's officially, for me, start of spring when you turn on the radio and you hear Euchre for the first time. Like, boom, spring is here. He's like 90-something now, isn't he? Turned he just nine, turned 90. Yeah, because yeah. we talked about that. So so he's just doing home games still, or does he got I would imagine, yeah. I I think they send him down to Arizona for spring training because the weather is so nice. He he probably just stays, stays down. There, yeah, he probably has a house in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, there. he does. He yeah. just sits in his living room and calls the game. They got a camera feed for him. <laughs> it's like COVID. Like when those <laughs> the guys would sit in their basement and call games. He's grilling some Usinger sausages on his grill while he. Watches. He probably doesn't even know he's calling the game <laughs> at some point. It's. It's actually yeah. It's actually just him in his living room talking about whatever. Can't That's really, what he does. Can't, anyways. can't really tell the difference. Yeah, That's what he does anyways. I mean, like Harry Carey seemed ancient, and guess how old Harry Carey was oh, when he passed like away? Seventy. No, it was it was eighty three. No. Sure. So he, but he did it till the end, kind yeah. of, and always seemed like yeah. I just remember Will Ferrell playing Harry Carey on Saturday Night Live. Cubs win. He did a good job. So you guys get big plans for next week, get the extra day. Your leap day? Yeah. It's just another day. Yep. No. <laughs> Everything's a, a day sooner next year because you have that from here anyway because you have the leap day. So 365 it, days from today is actually yesterday. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> True. Is it? Good point. Yes. 
After Leap Day, it's all back to normal. But. With the, with the like weirdly warm February, it just has a weird feel to it. Coming, we'll see how it. It's supposed to cool down kind of by that day, but ahead of it, it'll be warm, very warm. So it just yeah has a very interesting feel to going into a leap year. So all those people that have February twenty ninth birthdays are excited, right? Yeah, they finally get to so, celebrate so. on their actual birthday. Matt, did you realize you were two days away from a yes. leap baby? Oh, you were ye- leap yep. year? He was leap 84 year. was leap year. So. Wow. My daughter's excited because she her birthday is August 29th. So this whole when you're in... Oh, well, the half birthday. she'll actually have a real half birthday. Yeah, like when yep. you're in grade school, middle school, this whole half birthday thing is kind of... Especially when you have a summer birthday, then you celebrate it on your half birthday in school. Right. Now she's seventeen, so she doesn't like. That's <laughs> a little over exaggeration, but at one point she would be excited because she never got an actual half birthday. It's also I always remember leap years that your birthday is exactly a week after mine. And yes, on a leap in year, a leap year. We're, I didn't. I honestly didn't realize I was five days away from being a leap baby. I didn't. You know, I never thought of that. But yeah, I don't. Since you were in March, five, like, five ah, days is a little different than you were. You're like two days. Like yeah. your mom could just held out two days longer. <laughs> You'd, you'd only be 10, Matt. It'd be, so you'd be 10. You'd be turning 10. Yeah. Turning 10, yep. yes. Yes. <laughs> <No. laughs> is it like dog years? You know, like Kind of. Leap years is I, every four. I feel like it would be weird, though, not having a real birthday, you know, like on those other days. Like, do you celebrate it in March or February, or do you just get to pick when you celebrate? Maybe it's sprawling. Like you just, yeah, yeah, it's either the twenty eighth or the first, I guess. Right, but I feel like you yeah. do it ahead of time, not after. But yeah, I don't know. Pick. How does the bar treat that? Like, <laughs> right. what is this a joke? <laughs> yeah, it says your birthday is February twenty ninth. There's no February twenty ninth. Hey, even things where you have to stick your birthday in. I don't know. Does that get goofy or yeah? Yeah, I don't. It's it's a weird thing, but I mean. Scientifically, I guess it makes sense because the Earth's rotation is actually like a quarter of a day longer than 365 days. And so every four years, we just, just lump, that in, in a lump day. that into a new day and pick the short month to add it to. So I'm just trying to think like, so 88 was a drought year. I, 12 was the drought. Was, was 12 leap year? No, I, I looked remember. it up and it was surprised. Like, Technically, droughts don't fall on leap years, technically, but it did say bad weather in general, whether it be floods or droughts, tend to be on leap. Like, there's some sort of superstition behind that. Sure. So Yeah, 12 was a leap year, too. So, yeah. Yeah, 84, leap year, 12, leap Like, it kind of has... Book it, drought. Right. Damn it. No, it even says, like, weddings on... This is a very old, like, Greek... They said, yeah, like it was bad to have your wedding on leap day because oh, okay, you would, say in a right? leap year, no, just like, on leap day. Every four years, you're screwed. Like, I don't know how many people like why you'd have a wedding on leap day, but yes, that that apparently is associated with divorce and like just in general, leap day. I think is there's a somewhat of a bad. There's some to town it. that celebrates like a leap festival every four years. Like I'm sure there's more than one, but yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff. That, Surrounding it because it only happens every four years. So, remember, did, my third grade teacher was a leap baby. She, so she was like thirteen when I was in third grade. Oh yeah, technically. 
So it's always kind of weird. Like, you don't think about it until you meet someone or it is leap year and you, you talk to somebody whose birthday is actually there. So it's kind of crazy how that works. But yeah. You guys ready to get into our topic for today? Yeah. Let's do it. So we're talking biologicals. Beneficial microbes, biostimulants, which are... Go ahead, Ty. Did not know Bon Jovi produced biostimulants. Yes. Well, that's the difference between beneficial microbes and biostimulants is one's dead and one's alive. Or, well... Maybe not technically fully dead, but that's a, a good way to think of it. And I, so I was at a, the National No-Till Conference last month, and they, that was how it was presented, and it, it makes a lot of sense. So your, your biostimulants are things that are taken from a living creature at one time but don't need to be actively kept alive to be added to a field versus your beneficial microbes, which need to be kept alive. So there's a lot more maintenance and... Shelf thought life that has to go into shelf life. Yeah, there's a shelf life for sure. One one thing to think not about even shelf life, but just opening the jug life of yep. I, I pop the top. Now we got to go. If it goes, it's probably a bad thing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and and mixing it with other things will attack it. And what one thing to think big picture. I think this is why bio, biologicals have been around for a long time. It's just we're finding better ways to keep them alive and packaging them to get them onto a farm. I think it's part of it. Also, genetic engineering's changed some of these too. But enough of it is these are natural microbes that we just now know how to package them properly. I mean, for farmers that have silage out there, just think of your silage inoculants and how you treat those. That's similar to how you should be treating these, you know, whether it be keeping them on ice in a fridge and just, you know, whatever the... The, the not on the dash of your truck. Yes, not in the box in the sun. Don't leave them in the box of your truck for like two months and then open it because it will make that opening a soda bottle noise. And it's you're speaking from experience. I am. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. The alive, the beneficial microbes. Some of the more, I guess, well talked about ones recently are this particularly the N-producing ones, so like Invita, Pivot Bio, Utricia. Um, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of different beneficial microbes you could probably find a way to, and many companies are out there trying to do something with them. Um, but, you know, we've talked about those, but PSBs were one that was brought up in this talk that I thought were kind of interesting that... I don't know that have any of you guys. I've never heard use, of P, like. So it's is it like PCBs. No, no. They're, okay. they're phosphor- Can we just take them out of the river? And- phosphorus stabilizing um, microbes. So they're supposed to kind of keep your help release fo- more phosphorus or make it more available. And so, yeah, I think the PSB specifically is phosphorus solubilizing bacteria. Is what the PSB stands for. So you, something you can put in furrow, um, so you can mix it with your starter or do it by itself. And it's supposed to kind of help, like I said, make the phosphorus more available and give you a boost. So um, Champaign-Urbana did some tests on it and 
what they found was inferro PSBs did result in a yield benefit, um, but they needed to be optimized for placement, so you couldn't just throw it out there on top or anything. It had to be inferro. For grain yield, you had uh, to have adequate soil contact near the growing root, so again, that placement aspect. And it can increase phosphorus uptake, providing the opportunity to enhance fertilizer efficiency. So when mixed with starter, it actually did better than by itself. So when we talk about interactions, like Todd mentioned before, you know, keeping it alive, not trying to put it in a place where it's going to be antagonized or killed, um, that was one where it actually worked well mixed with something else as opposed to just being its own additive. Um, but yeah, the considerations with the alive microbes are a lot greater than when you get into the dead side, which is the biostimulants. So biostimulants are things like humix, uh, sugars, phosphatases, which, again, not one I've used myself at all. I don't know if it, you guys we, have used any. Some kind of, like kind in of, yeah. Some, yeah, some of the enzymes that sort of break down other things. Um, and then marine extracts is the, the latest one, which I, I, I do get a kind of a kick out of. Like, it's fish poop or, you know, biological products of marine animals. Okay. Like oh, I was just expecting like algae. Yeah, so, yeah right. I think algae is part okay. of it, too. Okay. Like it's, it's a very wide-ranging Marine thing. products is an interesting name, yes. Yeah. Um, I thought, thought they were talking about the marines. Yes, no, you don't. Extracting grind. something from our... <laughs> from the military? Yeah. Um, so phosphatases are interesting because, from what they presented, they're not all necessarily the same. And so they've talked about a few different ones and how they interact. And so they can work well. Again, they can increase yield. It's possible. Um, but each one is different in how it's targeting the organic. So the PSBs that we talked about, they target uh, phosphorus in one way and phosphatases do it in a different way. So they're targeting organic form of phosphorus. And the variation in soil can, depending on what kind of P levels you've got and organic matter concentrations can determine how well these work in the soil. So it's still a mystery to exactly how much of a benefit you can get. I mean, in testing a lot of these things, you can see a benefit, but you really have to go kind of a deep dive into how much of it and where it is to find the right combination. So it's not not just, oh, yeah, I'm going to throw it in with something. The placement is almost, it's almost like thinking about seed placement and other things that we do in fertilizer placement. You know, we just talked about two by two versus in furrow. Those same considerations come with these biological stimulants or biostimulants and biologicals. It's, it's not just a set it, forget it type thing. It's still management. It's still placement. So it's interesting to, to look at all these and see what you can do. So their biggest perspective, their, their takeaway in the presentation was understanding what you're using, what it does, 
and how it works before you try it. So not just assuming that it's going to do something good. Because in some cases, you might kill it or put it in the wrong place. Also knowing that it's not a replacement for crop management. So if you're just adding this and thinking you can get away with not doing anything else, that's not really the case. I think that's a big point, Matt, because I've run into spots where um, salesmen are saying, well, you can pull this out or pull that out and put our stuff in and it'll be a replacement. And it's like, well, that may be true, but you better do testing on it first. And most of the time, it's really hard to replace N, P, and K, right? Right. With something else, you know. I mean, even even um, pivot, you know, it's like, yep, we're adding nitrogen to the system because there's bacteria there, but how fast are they adding? And I'm curious... Like, did the Nash at the no-till conference, did they talk anything about how these things work in a droughty situation? Because I'm just curious. I I would think that if it was super droughty, that these wouldn't work as efficiently as if you had adequate moisture uh, in the soil, just because microbes need moisture too, right? I mean... Right. No, I, I think it's a good point, Bill, is that they didn't talk specifically about drought effects on these because that would have been this last year's research and that they probably don't have all the data quite together sure. on that but i think you're absolutely right the the condition of the soil is going to affect how it's used because not only can we kill it by putting it in the wrong place or mixing it with something that might be antagonistic but if we put it in an environment where it can't survive on its own because it doesn't have what it needs especially the living aspect the biological uh, beneficial microbe part of it, yeah. The just putting it out sometimes might be the wrong move if it has doesn't have anything to survive on when it's in the soil. I think these phosphatases are a very good example of knowing what your soil and knowing what your goals are. This is a throwback to episode Tilt Talk Radio episode seventy nine. Ooh, that's way back there. Way back. What? And we did talk about some of these. And kind of went a little more specifics to active ingredients and some of that. And we talked about Zypro, which is one of the um, kind of these phospholipase C is the active ingredient. And a little bit we talked about how it works. But one tricky part is, is if you have very low phosphorus levels, these don't, they don't create phosphorus out of nothing. Right. It's just helping release. It's helping release. So one thing to think about if you have a higher phosphorus level in that phosphorus can still be tied up and the plant can't get it. So these are one thing to help sort of release that. And they all act a little different. There's a couple on here. There's that Zypro and there's ends up. So there's different other ones and how they do it and what they do. And that's one tricky part is some of these actually do go after sort of what's in the soil and make it available. Well, if you got, say, under a 20 phosphorus parts per million, you probably just want to add the phosphorus. If you have maybe over a 50 or for sure like over 100 phosphorus, one of these products would be very good to make that phosphorus more available, especially early season when that plant needs a higher level of phosphorus. So you might actually get a bigger bang for your buck on that higher testing soil instead of adding the 10340 or 6246, something with that phosphorus in it is just to add one of these. these, And, and like you said, there's a dead product. So you don't have to worry about as much on the efficacy side, but it, it'll help make that phosphorus more available. 
Yeah, the handling of the the biostimulants is is a lot easier. It's it's more. I mean, humics or something. I think we've all had farms use some sort of humic acid or or product like that. There's there's things like sugar. You can just the organic guys tend to use a lot of sugars and um, you know. The sugar one always has, like, especially table sugar, always has like a big push. And then I like you hear guys talk about it, like, oh, somebody just went to Woodman's and bought bags of it and dumped right. them in, kind of a thing. And some people show benefits, some you know maybe not as much. That one's a hard one to really. Right. What I've the idea seen, is like, it's feeding from, the biology, right? Yeah. It again, you need active biology to be feeding something. Correct. So if you don't have the right biology it, that you're... And the seed needs sugar if it doesn't have the right, right. amount right from that seed. So it kind of depends on the year on that one too. That that one's always an interesting one to me of to see a re- true research and a payback and how to do that it would be tough. And there's not... I don't know. Everybody says there's big sugar people pushing it on humans, but the big sugar people don't seem to be pushing it on our crops as much. Right. So... No, and I think that's, you know... In talking about these two, this isn't like a an endorsement of of these products. As far as you know, oh yeah, you should use one or the other necessarily. It's got to fit your operations. Got to be able to do something that uh, that you want to do, and you should definitely do some testing on it. Do a, a plot or a field or something before you really go crazy with doing this on the whole farm. Especially these, if they're in furrow placement, it's really easy to. Flip yeah, on off and add some in and, yeah. and see what it does. But I think the the one that's very interesting to me that I haven't seen a lot of yet. I mean, there's, and there's a number of products out there that um, supposed to do this is the the residue breakdown component of this. And we talked about that again a few weeks ago on one of the episodes too of you know using your residue and trying to get more out of it is if we can refine that side of it. You can get a little quicker breakdown and manage your residue a little bit better. Um, that has some, some great potential, but that's kind of going beyond just yield side of it too. I mean, it could be- benefit yield, but at the same time, you're you're trying to make planting better. You're trying to make your um, soils a little bit easier to handle. And so it's something to consider with these products too, is it, is it, Beyond just the yield potential impact, are there other things that are going to make thing make your operation uh, work easier, save you time, save you effort in some way, um, save you fuel by not having to make an extra tillage pass or something? Um, you look at those benefits too when you're considering these products, not just the the oh, it's going to give me two or three more bushel. That's an overall bottom line thing, right? Your right. return to your ROI is. Return on investment, return, you know, it just lessens costs and other things that aren't just, like you said, Matt, another bushel. It's something that helps profitability versus gaining yield. And I don't think we think about that much, Matt. I usually don't when I, especially like the residue breakdown, that could be a huge deal. And it could actually affect the yield, say, the following year when you're not necessarily measuring that. So, yes, there is a that is a good factor to consider of, the non-yield benefits, is there a benefit to adding soil organic matter? Is there a benefit to, you know, that you're inoculating your soil for the long term to benefit in some way? Because that might come sooner or later, too. A lot of these do need, you know, through the way they're regulated, do need to die every winter. But maybe sooner or later there's some that actually can stay out there and be in the soil for kind of a longer-term basis. 
Right, and even if the one you add dies, but it helps build the existing biology, it's a benefit. Right. So, yeah, there's lots to consider with these, and just knowing whether it's dead or alive is going to change your management in a huge way um, and how you, you store it and can really put it out there. Um, it's it's an interesting area, like we've talked before. It's not... We're on the cutting edge, the bleeding edge of this stuff. We're not really... We don't have a lot of research behind a lot of these things outside of what the companies that sell them have been doing themselves. And so if, the more we get, the more plots we can get out there and the more we can see these things in action, um, the easier it'll be to make those future decisions of, yeah, this is worth it, or, um, you know, yep, this is going to pay... This, maybe not. So, um, and I think another thing, last thing kind of to, to wrap this up in terms of any of these products is don't just mix them all together either. <laughs> like when you're going to try it, don't, oh yeah, I'm going to throw the phosphorus one in, the nitrogen one in, like have six different things that, and then you get a yield bump. Well, okay, which one did it? And we talked about it with a lot of different things is Try one or do exclusion plots where you you know do your mix, but then take away one one thing away and replicate that plot a few times, um, where you're you're taking one variable out. This has been an approach I've been hearing from some salespeople: the shotgun approach of, well, yeah, they're they're all we'll add this little bit and kind of do it that way. And I think at the beginning that made some sense that yeah, then we're getting the yield benefit from them and hopefully. At least, since we don't know how all of them work, then, well, at least one of or two of them might work. But I think that's a very lazy approach for a long-term goal of, okay, which one is doing the heavy lifting, doing the benefits? As we get into a little bit of a tighter year, what are you going to do then? Just take it all completely out? Well, I'd rather know which one's worked as you get into a tight margin year than than not. So I I agree with you, Matt. I do feel like that's much more difficult figure out but this idea of just well kind of more of them is better and more of them at maybe a little amount they may not be enough to do anything so all of a sudden you just kind of just you didn't do enough sort of like you did a little amount of everything all these biologicals and it wasn't enough to do anything so yeah i i think that's good advice right and to bring bring it full circle what bill was saying earlier is if we are going into another dry year here, think about how that's going to affect the product you're using. The biostimulants, probably, maybe it won't affect it quite as much. I mean, it'll stay out there. It's a dead product. And once it has what it needs to activate, could be good. But the biological side, if you're looking to put that in this year, and it's really dry and the biology in the soil isn't active, chances are you might have some issues. So just keep an eye on that as you move into plant 2024. So. Hopefully Bon Jovi gets his, his due on some of this research. All right, now we'll move into our spotlight for today. A new herbicide, which is registered for use in soybean, cotton, and canola, has uh, received its federal registration. So AMVAC 
It's Chemical Corporation has announced Zalo herbicide, enabled by ProLease technology. It has the federal, now we're just waiting for state registrations. It's approved for early to mid post-emergence use in glufosinate, so not glyphosate, glufosinate, Liberty, trait-enabled soybean, cotton, and canola. In addition, the label will include poem and stone fruit crops. Zalo will be available spring 2024, pending those state registrations. So it's a premix of glufosinate and quizaflop, or quizalaflop, fop. It's one of those fun ones to pronounce. They're always tongue twisters. Uh, active ingredients in one powerful formula, formulation, strong broadleaf control with broad spectrum control of annual grasses, including non-enlist traded volunteer corn, giant foxtail, fall panicum, shatter cane, and perennial grasses, including Johnson grass and quack grass. So with the whole dicamba thing, this potentially could be an option for some people is on their soybeans to throw out there. As long as you get the liberty trait with that, so. Did you know Zalo was also a like it's a messaging app commonly oh, really? used in Vietnam? <laughs> yes. I thought they were going to call it Halo, and then they're right. like, "Ooh, that's a video game. We're going to get sued." So they turned the H sideways and made it a Z. Yeah, no, it's. Um, I was trying to look up to see where it was as far as like state registrations, if they had any list of states, um, as far as, you know, sometimes not all products are available in all states, if there were particular states they were targeting first. And I really couldn't find a lot, um, being February and spring, not that far away. I assume they're in the process somewhere, but uh, I just couldn't find a lot of information about whether it's going to be here in Wisconsin or uh, targeting more southern states with the cotton component. It's... It's basically a premix of Liberty and Assure too. Yeah. Yeah. Bill, what what are you using? Grass. Yeah. Grass that, herbicide in conventional soybeans is where it was, or uh, sure. volunteer corn. Right. Which, depending on your Liberty, may take out your volunteer corn if it's not Liberty corn. But this could be a good kind of one-two punch too. It's kind of a new thing. It's it's a it's a neat premix because we haven't I don't ever remember one quite like that you, know, you sometimes you get new ones that are as unique this one's a little more unique yeah yeah and it's a non enlist traded corn so apparently enlist must have the liberty trait is that well right, th- right. Yeah. it's just uh, yes if you're e3 you got liberty but yep. so yes you could some of these that or or even on your extend flex that has the Liberty trait as well. So you could use them on, depending on if it has the Liberty trait, you could use this. All right. Now we'll move into our egg history minute. So since FFA week is this week, thought we'd be, be good to talk about FFA as a organization. So it's a organization that Bill and Todd both were a part of, and actually we had a picture floating around the office this week of those Think, guys. Thanks at to Nas- your brother, Matt. Na- National convention, yeah, and and my brother was in the same picture. So, Future Farmers of America, as it used to be known, now it's just FFA, was founded by a group of young farmers in 1928, 
Their mission was to prepare future generations for the challenges of feeding a growing population. They taught us that agriculture is more than planting and harvesting. It's science, a business, and an art. FFA is for students who want to engage in agriculture and aspire to be farmers, teachers, doctors, scientists, business owners, and more. For this reason, the name of the organization was updated in 1988 after a vote of national convention delegates to reflect the growing diversity and new opportunities in the industry of agriculture. FFA continues to help the next generation rise up to meet those challenges by helping its members to develop their own unique talents and explore their interest in a broad range of agricultural career pathways. Uh, Future Farmers of America can be a part of this group, as well as future biologists, future chemists, future vets, future engineers, and future entrepreneurs of America as well. Today, the National FFA organization remains committed to the individual student, providing a path to achievement in premier leadership, personal growth, and career success through agricultural education. Members of FFA live, live the motto of learn to do, doing to learn, earning to live, and living to serve. FFA members rise to the challenge of service, embracing members of all walks of life united through FFA. So there you go. Bill, did you ever drive your tractor to school that no. week? No. Nope. You could drive like an open cab. If the weather's so nice, you could. Right, Wrightstone did that on Monday, I believe. Yep. And it was a cool mix of um, a midsize uh, New Holland, a gigantic John Deere. Um, like a big articulate. articulate yep. Yeah. Nice. And then like five, like those 886, 1086, Sweet 1066s yeah. open station. There's like five of those. Um, my son is an FFA, and I we don't have a tractor, obviously. <laughs> and he has several toy tractors, and I kind of tried to get him to just bring a toy to tractor. take a toy yeah. tractor to school. Should have had him bring Grandpa's Kubota. Yeah, yeah. No, that was it was in the shop up. actually, actually then, but it is fixed now, so yeah. he could. Yeah. This week, Matt always gives me the time to reminisce because I still have ninety ninety five was my one and only national convention trip, and every year this week I always seem to pull it out and. Just see all the guys that went on the trip with us and shoot them a text with the picture. And you were, you were there on another year, but that that's was... That's true. You're right. To re- my While you were in high school, that was only... Yes. Yes, yes. yes, that's true. I went back in college for my American degree, but... See, and that was cool because I got to go with then as like a... Fre- I, w- I wasn't supposed to... Were you to, a freshman? I was a freshman. It was maybe even eighth grade, but I'm pretty sure it was freshman year. But I got to go pretty much all four years because the one year was to see you and then after that... I could go, so yeah. yeah. I got to, that that is a cool trip. Still a cool, really neat. And yours, and, mine was in Kansas City, right? So Kansas I also got Louisville? to see all three, because it's Louisville, right? Louisville Kansas and um, City. Kansas City and Indianapolis. Indianapolis, that's and so right. I got to go to all three because of some weird thing too with that. Is that where it's still? Year. Is it in Indy now? I believe it is. Yes. The, the big I wonder why FFA week is now and conventions in the fall time. I don't know. We're going to talk about it later. So don't don't. Ooh, okay. Ooh, I like that, man. All right. Never mind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good lead in. Thank you, Matt, and thank you to all our listeners out there. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell a farmer friend. All you have to do is search Tilt Talk Radio and Apple Podcasts or on Android. You can use an app like Podcast Attic. You can also listen on your computer or smartphone browser. Go to tiltag.com slash podcast. 
We're also available on Amazon Music, and you can follow us on Facebook and X at Tilth Talk Radio. All right, now let's get into some cool beans. That's corny and some current events. So cool beans, cool beans, cool beans, cool beans. Our cool beans this week. EPA issued an existing stock order for dicamba products. So what does that mean? Well, as of <clears throat> February 14th, the EPA, so happy Valentine's Day to all you farmers, <clears throat> the EPA issued an existing stock order for dicamba products previously registered for over-the-top use. So the order addresses the use of dicamba products affected by the Arizona federal court decision vacating their registrations earlier this month. It authorizes limited sale and distribution of existing stocks that had already been in possession of persons other than the registrant. The existing stocks provision applies to stocks of previously registered pesticide products, Ingenia, Tavium, and Extendamax, currently in the U.S. and packaged, labeled, and released for shipment prior to February 6th of 2024. EPA stated that the issuance of this existing stocks order will help to ensure that growers who have already purchased dicamba-tolerant seeds and thus are reliant on the availability of dicamba for the 2024 growing season can apply dicamba formulations designed for over the top use of dicamba-tolerant soybean and cotton rather than misusing more volatile dicamba formulations which could lead to greater off-site movement and potential damage to non dicamba tolerant products and apply these dicamba products consistent with restrictions intended to reduce offsite movement and protect human health and the environment. So the government did something smart here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good thing for those of you who have uh, dicamba tolerant beans purchased. So it means you can potentially still use the products that were vacated in that Arizona decision uh, for this season. But as far as next year, that's still up in the air. I had heard something somewhere in the neighborhood of like 18 months before it could be registered again. So uh, and that's not a for sure timeline. That's just what I heard from a chemical rep. So we'll see what happens. All right. Our That's Corny this week. Census has shown that fewer Wisconsin farms have Internet access. So despite efforts at rural broadband and all that kind of stuff, the USDA Census of Agriculture has shown that Wisconsin farms are still struggling to get Internet access. Uh, according to a statistician from USDA, uh, Greg Bussler says a higher percentage of farms had access to the Internet in 2022 compared to 2017. Uh, in 2022, 79% of Wisconsin farms had Internet access, with mobile Internet being the biggest way farmers accessed the Internet. 76% of Wisconsin farms had Internet access in 2017. But the number of Wisconsin farms with internet access fell by 3,221. The number in 2022 went down to 46,091 farms, but with percentage uh, went up because the number of farms dropped. So it wasn't actually <laughs> that more farms had internet, it was because there were less farms. Uh, so lost 10% of the farming operations between 2017 and 2022 falling from around 64,000 farms to only 58,521 in five years. And 59% of Wisconsin farmers responding to the 2022 Census of Agriculture are getting their internet from a mobile provider, while 53% had broadband access. So some farmers have both. So, um, yeah, I mean, that infrastructure, a lot happened this last fall, or, well, over the course of the last year. So we 
hopefully we'll see an improvement with that um, moving forward. But there's a lot of infrastructure. I mean, all summer, that's all I saw going in ditches and stuff was a lot of a lot of that orange tubing. So hopefully that means things will change for the better this year. Counties north of us are really hammering in the the lines. Like, it's going big time. So that's good. Yeah, and hopefully more reliable because mobile, I've, I've played the mobile game and that's not a fun game. It's amazing how good it's gotten, but at the same time having that broadband Ethernet is... Is awesome. I mean, it's just yeah. Well, very the biggest fast, problem with mobile reliable. for a farm is you have sheds and metal buildings, and that right. really cuts down right. on your ability on to your use reception. that mobile. Yeah. yeah. When your iPhone says SOS, <laughs> it's not a good thing. Should say SOL. It should. All right, and now to wrap things up with our Field Good Friday, since it is FFA Week, thought we'd talk about that a little bit. So, the first National FFA Week was celebrated in 1948, so 76 years ago, when the National FFA Board of Directors designated a week-long celebration for all things FFA. During this time, we also commemorate George Washington's birthday, which falls on February 22nd, and recognize his legacy and contributions to the agriculture industry. So, Todd, that that's gets into why it's there, is because of Washington and his connection to agriculture. So there are lots of ways to recognize National FFA Week, including posting on social media and showing your gratitude to others. So this year, uh, things started last Saturday. So the f- February 17th was the official start of FFA Week, running through uh, Friday, February 23rd. And so each day kind of had a different theme to it. So uh, to get started, I just wanted to just spread the word on Saturday SAE Sunday was the 18th, so opportunity to show off your supervised agriculture experience. Monday the 19th was Service and Advocacy Day. Tuesday was Alumni Day. Wednesday, Ag Teacher Appreciation Day. Thursday, Give FFA Day. And Friday is National Wear Blue Day. So if you're wearing blue as you're listening to the podcast here, you're supporting FFA. I am. There you go. Yeah, and I did. It was in Kansas City till 1998, and it was there for a long time. The National Convention was there for quite a few years, basically from 1928 through 98. So you got to see like the last one, and then it went to Louisville, Kentucky, till 2006, and then it was in Indianapolis, and then basically it kind of flip flopped now every three years between those two between those two and it was this last year was in indianapolis so it looks like that'll kind of those two must be fighting over it or however it however they decided but a three-year rotation is an interesting way to do it too yeah you think it would be like every other year right. or something like that but maybe they whatever venues they're using require three-year contracts Con- it's i'm sure it's contract related yeah. yes but there you go enjoy national ffa week as it comes to a close here and support your local FFA, whether you're an alumni or just someone in agriculture that's a lot of good work being done there for future students. So that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. Thanks. Sorry, Matt. It was <laughs> Bill so slow in the draw here. I was yeah. reading about FFA and Yep. Got got too into it. Ah. Thanks, Todd. Too many good memories. 
All right. This week we talked about uh, beneficial microbes versus biostimulants. So what's dead, what's alive, and kind of how to manage that. Spotlight, we talked new herbicide, Zalo, uh, coming. It's got federal registration, but still awaiting state registrations. Egg History Minute, we talked FFA, a little history of that organization. Cool Beans this week, EPA issued that existing stock order for dicamba products. That's corny, as fewer Wisconsin farms have internet access, but that will hopefully be changing soon. And our Field Good Friday was celebrating FFA week this week. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming. <laughs>